In today's society, we are used to communicating very quickly. Email, text, cell phone, Zoom, Google, Instagram, it's a long list. In the past, the pace was slower. Communication over distances relied on what we now call snail mail, letters, postcards, things like that went through the postal system. Of course, we still have a postal system, and people mail each other things all the time. But before telephone and telegraph, that was the only way to receive communication from people far away. This episode is all about people communicating with other people through the postal system. Listen in because you've got mail. Ready to earn some extra credit? You're listening to ADK Extra Credit a podcast for students about the history of the Adirondack Mountains and the people who have lived, worked, and played here. The Adirondack Experience, the museum on Blue Mountain Lake, is located in the heart of the Adirondack Park of New York State. People write messages to each other for all sorts of reasons. Let's start with the shortest form of letter that most of us are familiar with, the postcard. They are short by necessity because the standard size of a postcard is three and a half by five inches. The front is taken up with the picture and the back is divided in half. One half is for the address of the person to whom the card is sent. That leaves only a square about three inches by three inches to write. That's not much room to tell someone what a great time you're having on vacation. Our example is from Noah John Rondeau, a man that became pretty famous in the early 1900s as an Adirondack hermit. We'll have a future podcast all about Noah John. In a nutshell, he was a hermit that wasn't much like a hermit. Hermits are usually people that like to live alone and not have much to do with other people. Noah, however, was pretty sociable. Here's a postcard he wrote to a friend to tell her a bit about his life. To Miss Marion Claybert, Elmira, New York, September 13th, 1950. Part-time, I'm the hermit. And part-time, I'm Sandy Gloss at Sandy Gloss City, North Pole, New York. Noah John Rondo, Adirondack Hermit. Short and to the point, the front of this postcard has a photo of Santa's workshop, a theme park in North Pole, New York, that is still in business. You may be asking yourself, why does a museum keep people's postcards and letters? The answer is that these are wonderful primary resources, first-person accounts of history, They give a view into a moment in time in the words of someone who lived that moment. The second example is a first-person account of the very first hike by a white resident up Mount Colden. The letter writer is Robert Clark. He worked at a mining operation that was owned by his family. Our first example was two sentences. This example comes from a letter Robert wrote to his mother that was 12 pages long. We won't read the entire thing to you, or you'll be listening to this podcast until your ears hurt. Here's his description of reaching the peak of the mountain. This was written August 17, 1850. 
When not far from the top, a large eagle rose from it and soared away. The noble bird did look beautiful. She must have had her nest somewhere about, but we were too tired to look for it. I was astonished at the difference of vegetation as we got nearer the top. The tall and straight spruces and balsams below gradually gave way to those about halfway up the mountain, which were not half the size. And at the top, there were nothing but scrubby spruces not more than five feet high, a majority not two and a half feet. The view from here is the grandest sight I ever saw. You can see upwards of 50 miles on every side, almost all unbroken wilderness, spotted over with lakes and two or three settlements. I cannot attempt a description of it, for I know I would fail far of the mark. A well-written letter can convey the emotion that the writer felt during the event. Robert Clark's words share his awe at the beauty he experienced. His long letter provides tons of information about the climb and about his life and work, information that we would not have regarding that place and period in time if he were not such a good son writing long, newsy letters to his mother. This next example is a portion of a letter from Dr. C.S. Beals to his daughter, Frederica. He is telling her about the fire he witnessed that destroyed most of the town of Racket Lake in 1927. The feelings he expresses are quite different from what Robert Clark shared. February 22, 1927. Dear Fred, your letter came tonight and you evidently had not learned that on Sunday most of the so-called racket burned. Nearly everyone was at church when it is said that Frank Newton discovered the rear of the store of fire. Those in the church were notified and came at once. Dan Lynn and others tried to get to the fire extinguishers from the post office, but the smoke was so thick that they could not get them, and the glass was cracking in the partition. Then the telephone office was so bad that they couldn't get in there to save a thing. The wind blew a gale from the east. Catherine ran home and told me to go down and see if I could help, and without waiting for MD, I pulled on my galoshes and when I arrived there, the store was a mass of flames. So rapidly did the store burn. The steamboats caught, then the hotel, the cottages in turn, the casino and barn. At this time, the fire truck from Inlet managed to reach here and in a few minutes had streams going, saving the storehouses, the laundry, ice house, and coolers. The big garage caught was badly gutted before they succeeded in putting that fire out. Of course, those living over the store lost everything they had. Mr. Dillon was alone with the two small children and went down to get a fire extinguisher, leaving them. When they went upstairs, the few minutes that they had was taken with hunting for the baby. They could hear him, but the smoke hid him. But they found him underneath the table. Then it was too late to save even the currency in the rooms. I've talked a lot about letters to friends and family. These are valuable keepsakes and wonderful sources of information. But of course, there are messages that need to be written about business concerns as well. You may be writing to inquire about a product or service, or maybe to complain, or you may be providing information, applying for a job, or making a suggestion. 
Our next letter is a great example of one business person responding to a letter from another business person. Mr. C.A. O'Hara received a shipment that was not in good condition. He has made a claim, which means he asked for his money back or to have the order replaced. This letter is Mr. Maurice Callahan's response. I like this letter because the first part of Mr. Callahan's response is an average business letter. He tells the reader what he is talking about and that he is going to give him his money back. But then he goes on and kind of says, hey, you lucked out that my assistant remembered this shipment. Next time, tell your workers not to sign for damaged goods. Reading it, you can really get a good feel for his personality. Old Forge, New York, February 12, 1910. Dear Sir, I have your favor of the ninth in regard to the shipment of lard. I had the matter under investigation at the time I wrote you first, and the facts as I have gathered them indicate that your statement as to the condition of this shipment is correct. And I have forwarded the papers to Mr. R.L. Calkins, freight claim agent, Grand Central Station, New York, with authority to adjust the claims with you and charge the total amount to Fulton Navigation Company. I would suggest, however, that it would be well to instruct your men to be careful about signing for shipments in bad order unless it is written on the bill by our agent or purser, because unless it is shown to the contrary, we shall have to stand by our records. We do not want to take advantage of anyone and have had to pay money when our men acted incompetently in handling a situation. However, in this case... The assistant superintendent recollects the occurrence, and I want to make the adjustment. Yours truly, Maurice Callahan, superintendent. The last samples I want to share with you are from what we refer to as the Moner Letters. The Moner was a weekly newsletter for Tupper Lake military service personnel. It was printed and mailed to people serving in World War II from 1943 to 1945. Many of those soldiers wrote back to the writers and publishers of the Moner, Len Perry, Lawrence Quinn, and Father Edmund Dumas. As I create this podcast episode, the Adirondack Experience is about to open for the 2021 season. A featured exhibit this season is titled, From Wilderness to Warfront, the Adirondacks, and World War II. If you're able to visit us this season, don't miss that exhibition. It's devoted to the men and women of the Adirondack region that bravely served at home and abroad during World War II. Here are parts of a few letters from three servicemen missing home and familiar things while serving a tour of duty. South Pacific, Wednesday, February 21st, 1945. Hello, Len. This is just a few lines to let you know that I've been receiving the Moner and that I really enjoy reading it. I keep looking forward to the day I will be able to return to good old Tupper. I miss the old bunch of boys I used to go to school with. Sure wish I could run into some of them out here. February 21st, 1945, Fort Dix, New Jersey. Dear Len, the Army's all right, but I'd much rather be a civilian playing basketball. All the rest of the fellows have shipped out, and I'm still in this desolated part of the world. 
February 24, 1945, Saturday. Dear Len, finally found some time to send you my new address. I've been here a month and finally got tired of waiting for the moaner to go through Nebraska. I look forward to that little bit of gossip and news every week. I've almost finished my first place of RTU training. Just two more months and I'll be ready to take a nice long trip. I'm being taught everything from paralleling generators to giving a plasma transfusion. If I took as much interest in my high school classes as I do this, I would have been a model pupil. I've really got to learn this stuff or it'll be my neck, and I want this neck of mine to walk into the Ultima after this mess is over. I've had three flights in the 29 so far and expect to go up this afternoon. The mission lasts about seven hours and I'm usually ready for the sack when I hit the ground. My position is about as comfortable as a living room sofa, but it gets mighty tiresome. I'm going to cut this note short. I hope you get a few trophies this year. As ever, Brainerd. That's just a few samples of the correspondence that the Adirondack Experience has in the collection. Every little town and hamlet in the region had a post office, and now you know why. People love communicating. If you would like to communicate with us at ADK Extra Credit, we would love to hear from you. For snail mail, write to School Programs, P.O. Box 99, Blue Mountain Lake, New York, 12812. To send a letter electronically, write to education at theadkx.org. Thank you for joining us for an episode of ADK Extra Credit. This podcast is brought to you by the Adirondack Experience, the museum on Blue Mountain Lake. Our mission is to expand understanding of Adirondack history and the relationship between people and the Adirondack wilderness, fostering informed choices for the future. If you want to listen to more fun Adirondack history, visit our website, theadkx.org. That's T-H-E-A-D-K-X dot O-R-G.